I love me some me. Welcome to episode 15 of For Our Edification. Thank you for joining For Our Edification. I'm Eddie Francis, and the podcast is available on some of the biggest platforms, Podbean, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple, Google, and more. And go to the new For Our Edification page at eddiefrancis.com. So here we are, folks. It is 2020, and your boy, your president, Donald Trump, is, is, is he's made it interesting, hasn't he? Uh, today is October 5th, so by this time, um, he has been to the hospital, treated for COVID-19, And let me tell you something, in 2016, I can't say that I predicted there would be a pandemic. I am not terribly surprised by the civil unrest. Yes, in 2016, I saw some stuff coming like a freight train. And why is that? Because Donald Trump is a malignant narcissist. Now, let me go ahead and calm you down. I'm not about to talk about ideology or politics. I don't care about Republicans or Democrats. I'm not talking about liberal or progressive or uh, conservative or libertarian or anything like that. What happened is that I have started researching narcissism because of my professional experiences. And here we are four years later. Popping your earbuds, get ready for a long drive, because we're really going to get into this. The views and opinions expressed on For Our Edification do not necessarily reflect the views or opinions of the hosts, guests, or any entities with which we are affiliated. Um, so let me just start by saying, I am not a mental health professional. I did complete my master's degree in strategic leadership. So the lens through which I am looking at this particular topic is the lens of leadership. I'm not a psychologist or anything like that, right? In episode seven, I talked about the infamous fire festival. Uh, And throughout that episode, I talked about the fact that I I really thought that Billy McFarlane was a narcissist. I did some research. I'm working on my final project for my master's degree. um, And I decided that I was going to do a case study on fire festival. And I did the case study not so much because I wanted to continue to talk about Billy McFarland and his character from Fire Festival, but there was something about Fire Festival that a lot of people did not talk about. And that is the fact that there was a legitimate public health emergency that happened as a result of that event. Some people could have gotten seriously ill. Some people honestly really could have died. At Fire Festival, they were in a dangerous situation and they were in this dangerous situation because of one guy, one guy who decided he had to have it all. And he was only concerned about one person, him. That's what I believe really, really did it with Billy McFarlane. I researched not only what happened with the people who attended Fire Festival or what was supposed to be Fire Festival, but I also took a look at the staff for Fire Media. Uh, the there were a couple of folks from the old company that he founded, Magnesis, and I looked into their reactions to him uh, and what he did. And so, as I was working on this project and as I was working on this case study. Um, I ran across the theoretical framework that really guides my view of how narcissists can just tear up an organization. And it's called the leader member exchange theory. The leader member exchange theory suggests that um, a leader's effectiveness 
is basically guided by the exchanges that he or she has with their followers, right? And when we say followers, we're talking about um, the people who work under them, the people who belong to an organization. So what I ran across in this research is followership, not to be confused with being a follower. And I'll get back into that in a little bit. But it reminded me of why the research became so important to me. Followership can be heavily affected by a narcissist in a negative way. Here's my story. This is where all of this is coming from. I've worked with some very interesting characters, having worked in uh, radio and also working in higher education. It's very easy to understand that there are narcissistic personalities and full-blown narcissists in radio. Radio is very connected to the music industry and, of course, uh, very connected also to the entertainment industry outside of music. There's the athletics industry. Radio is a centerpiece for that and a lot of other industries, obviously, because so many people advertise on radio. You run into all of these very strong personalities. But the people who actually work in radio, oh, you, you get your fill of narcissists in no time flat. Now, I decided at some point to move away from radio. Um, I started working in higher ed and public relations. And I got to tell you, oof, I thought radio had narcissists. Higher ed? Oh, yeah, definitely. And in a way, you can't blame them. I mean, you know, one of the one of the uh, one of the key pieces of um, literature when you are researching uh, narcissism was done by a guy named uh, Mike McCoby in the year 2000. He did a piece in which he explored both sides of narcissism, the, the positive side and the negative side. Now, we hear about the negative side all the time, and obviously I'm going to spend a lot of time talking about that. But when it comes to the positive side, McCoby suggests that there are people who can be productive narcissists. And what he means is that even though these people want all of the attention focused on them, they leverage that desire to do good things for a company. I will say that although it is one of the key pieces of research when it comes to narcissism, yeah, it, it reads really well. But when you really start to get into narcissism and you start to read more about it, I don't know. I, I, I bought it less and less as I did the research. And the reason is this. Narcissism is a personality disorder. Um, that is according to researchers. That is according to experts. That's according to clinicians. These folks definitely believe that narcissism is a personality disorder. So I'm working for this person in higher ed or working under this person in higher ed. And we're talking about someone who, whenever there was an interview done, had to just know the next day that there was going to be a wealth of coverage. So, so is the article out yet? This person would ask. Well, well, what's the deal? Tell me, the, am I in it? What's going on? So I'm thinking, man, what is it with this? Why, why all this interest in whether or not I am getting my exposure? 
Sure, you, 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 you really want to do well for the institution. I get that. But what's going on? And I, I really hadn't had any thoughts about narcissism at the time. And then one day somebody says, yeah, yeah, he, you're talking about somebody who's just a straight up narcissist. And I said, huh, that's interesting. Decided to look it up. And what do you know? I'm looking at this description of narcissism and I'm checking boxes mentally as I'm reading through. Yeah, checks that box. Oh, yeah, this person definitely checks that box. Whoa, checks that box. Definitely checks that box. I. So let's go with the definition here. What exactly is narcissism? Well, I, I told the story of Narcissus in episode seven. It's very entertaining. You got to download it. And my favorite description of narcissism comes from what's called the narcissism spectrum model. And the narcissism spectrum model, if you were just to envision a metronome and you're keeping beat, and of course, there's that middle part where the beat happens, right? Clock, 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 right? The middle part of the narcissism spectrum model where the beat always happens would be self-importance. This model suggests that self-importance is the foundation on which all of the other behaviors are built. And it aligns with this historic view of narcissism um, when you talk about vanity, self-centeredness, arrogance, lack of empathy. It is all about this person. Now, on one side of this model is grandiosity, exhibitionism, hubris. On the other side of this model is vulnerability, defensiveness, and resentment. So let's just imagine that you are working for someone who, yeah, it's all about them. And you're, you're, you know, you're noticing that everything that this person is about and saying is me, 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 right? Now, you know, just built on that, I'm not necessarily thinking that you're dealing with a narcissist. It, Arrogant, yeah, vain, fine, you know, self-centered, cool, I get it. And then you start to realize that this person has big ideas all the time. This is going to work. This is going to work. Well, still, I don't think you're necessarily dealing with a narcissist at that point. However, even though self-importance is the foundation of narcissism, where I really believe that you know you're dealing with a narcissist is when that vulnerability part comes in. This person gets really defensive, gets really resentful. Okay, so so let me give you an example. Um, and, and I'm going to give you a great TV example. If you were into The Office, you probably already know that one of the most popular TV narcissists is Michael Scott. Now, if you haven't seen The Office before, I suggest you take a look at Season 1, Episode 2, Diversity Day. That episode, and, and there are so many episodes where his narcissism is on display, uh, definitely episode one, but it really plays out in this episode. So let me tell you what happens. Um, so Michael, the character, decides that he is going to do for The Office a routine by Chris Rock, famously called Negroes versus Black People. And no, Negroes is not the word that's used in this routine. And so Michael Scott, who, by the way, if you don't know this, Michael Scott's character is a white man. So he does this routine. And what happens is that this diversity trainer comes along the next day because or the next week or whatever the timeline was in the show. And this and, and you know, this diversity trainer has to do this diversity because the office of obviously did not appreciate um, this uh, Chris Rock routine that Michael did. 
the 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 diversity character uh, the diversity trainer's name is mr brown by the way black man haha um so mr brown comes in he does his diversity training and he asks one of the folks from the office to uh to tell him how the routine went now he's not asking michael about this he's asking a member of the office right so this member of the office starts doing it well here's what happens Michael is sitting there and he is just seething and he can't stand it because what's going on? The person in the office who Mr. Brown asked to do this routine is doing it wrong, according to Michael. And so what happens? Michael can't take it anymore. And he's just so fidgety and he's not doing his great rendition of Negroes versus black people well at all. OK, so here's where you get grandiosity, right? This is where you get grandiosity. Now, we have to get back to self-importance because that's the foundation. So where does the self-importance come in here? Well, the most important thing to Michael is that the routine that he did or the rendition of the routine that he did is, 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 is so hilarious that nobody should have a problem with it. So the focus is on how he did the routine so well. So that's where your self-importance comes in. After the training, after Mr. Brown leaves, Michael is so resentful, vulnerability, that he decides to do his own training and things go left. Thank you for downloading this edition of For Our Edification. I'm Eddie Francis. And um, so, yeah, we, we had this uh, episode of The Office in which Michael's narcissism was on full display. Just in episode two, you got the whole gamut there, right? You got the self-importance uh, with the diversity training because he thought his rendition of Chris Rock's routine was so good that no one should have had a problem with it. And then, of course, you got the grandiosity because... Um, he, somebody just messed up the, the routine and it just wasn't, he, he couldn't understand how somebody could mess up his great work, which wasn't really his work, obviously. And then there was the vulnerability. And this is where the vulnerability comes in, where he decides to do his own diversity day. And in doing his own diversity day, he makes an off color comment to an Indian employee. You remember the character Kelly. And when he does this, uh, off-color uh, impersonation of the character. And, and by the way, by Indian, we mean South Asian. Um, she slaps him. She just slapped the hell out of him. And so when you see that, what that does is it brings into focus just how serious this is for the follower, the member of an organization, the employee. You know, in one instance, let, let me just say this. I really struggled with my identity and value working under a narcissist because it was so much about this person. This person made it so much about themselves that there was really no leadership left for anybody else working under this person. All of the energy was self, self, self so into themselves that a lot of us and and there's there's a group of us from one organization we still communicate and talk about our experiences it is it's like we used to get together and commiserate we would go to happy hour and commiserate about how awful a work environment it was and it was all because of one person all because of one person for me personally 
my self-esteem took a huge hit because I didn't know if I had any real value there. No matter how much I would hype myself up and say, nah, I, I have value because look at this thing I did. Look at that thing I did. I did this thing great. I did that thing great. So I've got to have value. But I wasn't necessarily sure because I was in an environment that was enveloped by this toxicity of narcissism. My creativity was stifled. Um, and when I was creative, it was more out of defiance than it was wanting to do something great for the organization. And let's not even talk about imposter syndrome setting in. I mean, that really happened in a, in, in, in a few instances on different jobs, but it kept repeating itself because I kept running into these situations where I just didn't feel like I had any real value and I didn't really know, I, I, I couldn't really tell you who I was in terms of um, someone who uh, was a real contributor to what was going on. Now, I know that you might be someone who's listening to this and going, Eddie, honestly, at this point, it sounds like you're being a crybaby. I mean, honestly, how is this their fault? Well, this is where followership comes in. Let me introduce you to the term. A follower is someone who does what he or she is told. Followership, though, goes beyond that. It's taking an active role in moving an organization forward. The mission, the agenda, the business plan, whatever it is. And followership is really leadership without the legitimate authority. Now, legitimate authority um, means that you have a title, you have power, and you can make legitimate leadership decisions like personnel moves, policy moves. Uh, you can strategize how things are going to go with the organization. Followership hinges on another type of authority called expertise authority. Expertise authority means you know your job, you own that space, you do it so well that when people critique you, it's really almost to a minimum. Now, if you really wanna see how followership can work effectively, especially in conjunction with leadership from a legitimate authority standpoint, uh, let's take a look at one HR practice when it comes to employee evaluations, uh, 360 feedback. So 360 feedback means that everybody gets an opportunity in an area to evaluate one another. Now, 360 feedback works well um, if everyone has a certain level of expertise, if they have a certain level of knowledge and experience. And but then also I would offer it works well if everyone has a certain level of emotional intelligence as well. We'll come back to that in just a little bit. And um, and usually this happens in what we call an organic leadership structure. And what that means is that people who are from the ranks, the followers, they are expected to be leaders at some point. Nobody takes it personally. Nobody gets hurt. It's encouraged. People want to see each other win. They want to see each other take that step up. In that type of environment, 360 feedback works. In a traditional hierarchy, however, 360 feedback can be difficult to pull off because in a traditional hierarchy, 
command and control is usually focused on the leader, this person with the legitimate authority. So if you can picture having a narcissist in that instance of 360 feedback and the admin tries to say that the narcissist is not very good at his job because he does A, B, C, D, E, F, and G. And the admin who is very skilled, who is very experienced, legitimately has a beef and not only that lays it out like a rug and it and and there's nothing personal in there this ad man has really done it can you imagine a narcissist taking feedback from someone like that I, i'm here to tell you it doesn't happen it doesn't happen because a narcissist wants the attention on them they have an attitude of superiority as a result of it. And so, and so, no, this person has absolutely no right to give them any kind of feedback. And by the way, narcissists, and I know this from experience, are vengeful. These people will find ways to get back at you if you say, do anything that they do not like. So... You say to yourself, wait a minute, Eddie. Uh, narcissists, they, they sound pretty insecure. Yes, they are. Narcissists are proven to be, through research, very insecure. This is why emotional intelligence is so important. This is for our edification. I'm Eddie Francis. Thank you very much for downloading episode 15, where we're talking about narcissism and my obsession with narcissism. Why does it bother me so much? If you follow me on Twitter, you see that I will hashtag narcissistic leadership a lot of times, especially talking about Donald Trump. Uh, and I'll get to that in just a little bit. But you know, I, I mentioned uh, just a minute ago that when it comes to followership, a, a key ingredient, I believe, of, of, of effective followership is emotional intelligence. Because if you are going to be able to give your leader some kind of feedback, you, you know, you got to be able to deal with some emotional elements of that. You, you got to be able to manage your emotions and providing the feedback. You have to be able to manage your emotions when people say, well, I don't think you're on target with this feedback. The problem, though, is that even if followership is strong, the decisions still come from this leader with this legitimate authority. And so the leader has to give has to be that example of emotional intelligence. You can't expect people to do what you're not not what you're not willing to do yourself if you're a leader. Right. So what are these what are these things about emotional intelligence that make it so important and why is there always such a clash when it comes to a narcissist why isn't a narcissist someone who has high emotional intelligence well for emotional intelligence one of the key ingredients is you have to have self-awareness you have to be able to um know your emotions and you have to know how your emotions affect the people around you. Well, that doesn't work if you have this high degree of self-importance. The other part is you have to be able to regulate your emotions. Well, that's not going to work 
if you're vulnerable on a consistent basis, I might add. Now, we already established with a narcissist, there is no empathy. Guess what one of the strongest aspects of emotional intelligence is? <laughs> empathy, you heard me? And then you have people who just don't have any social skills because they don't have any of those previous elements. And narcissists are not known for having strong social skills. Now, one other aspect of emotional intelligence is motivation. Are narcissists not motivated? Oh, well, actually, yeah, they are. They're very motivated. However, they're not motivated the same way as someone with strong emotional intelligence, I got to tell you. I mean, somebody with strong emotional intelligence, they're motivated because they want to be the best they can be. They, they want to be their best selves, right? A narcissist is motivated because they simply want to get what they want to hell with all the rest of this stuff just give me what i want and so with them being so focused on getting what they want what starts to happen with a narcissist your narcissistic leader becomes manipulative oh yeah oh yeah manipulation bending the truth <laughs> lying, pitting one person against another person. This is one of the reasons that narcissists love chaos so much. Because when they have a bunch of people around them and everybody has such a great relationship with one another and they're not the center of that great relationship, they got, they got to break that up. No, 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 no. Hold on. Hold on. Y'all can't be sitting here laughing it up with one another and having a good time. And I'm not the center of attention. Right. My jokes are the best jokes. So let's go back to Michael Scott. Right. His his Chris Rock rendition. My stuff is the best stuff. So we got to you know, we got to break this up. And if you watch The Office, you saw Michael Scott do this all the time. He would break up a lot of relationships um, whenever, you know, whenever he felt that he wasn't satisfied that the attention was on him or not enough attention was on him. And so these narcissists, they become manipulative, they lie, they start chaos. And the thing with them is that it's about power or it's about something that makes them feel powerful. One of the pieces of research uh, that I read put it beautifully uh, when it said that narcissists are obsessed with shaping, quote, the external world according to their own visions, end quote. Actually, research shows that narcissists can reach a point of mania due to, quote, elevated goal pursuit, end quote, and impulsivity, end quote, Um so they got to have all of the, they, they got to have it all. They got to have it all. Everything has to happen on my clock. Everything has to happen. My time, even if that means I am going to cause utter chaos among the team is all got to happen on my time. And when they don't get their way, narcissists get angry. Now, some people suppress the anger or some narcissists suppress the anger to a point of passive aggressiveness. Others, though, go into legitimate narcissistic rage. Now, if you want the best example of this, 
when you've seen these images of Donald Trump folding his arms like a petulant child, that that's the anger. That's the passive aggressiveness. Now, one thing I do wonder about him is whether or not he saves all the heat, the real heat for closed door meetings. You might be asking yourself, well, well you know, I know somebody like this. And, and maybe if I just go talk to him. Well, you can. You can talk to him. I'm not saying don't talk to him. Can you call it to their attention? Yes, you can. Are they going to take your feedback? Probably not. The problem is, research indicates, that they don't necessarily feel shame when others point out the problem. They do feel shame, however, when they don't get what they want. So the only way for them to get to this point where they decide that they want to act differently is to refocus their attention on something else that they want or maybe even if they hurt someone uh, who is that close to them or someone whose attention they want that much they'll they'll maybe change their ways in the case of Trump I, I think for him it's his kids I think that's how you really get to him you get to him through Donald Jr. Eric Ivanka Barron and whoever else Ronnie Bobby Ricky Mike whoever whatever other kids he has out there that's how I think you get to this guy. But if you just go to him and say, hey, Donald, I think you I think you just need to change your ways. That's not going to happen. He's not doing that for anybody. No. All this time, president of the United States, he, he's opened a country up to a legitimate pandemic. And and, you know, 200 people, 200,000 people dead. That still doesn't make him feel bad about who he is. Not at all. Not at all. Not even in the slightest lying to the media. Okay. Not only lying. And, and by the way, he's not lying to the media. He's lying to the American people. And aside from all of that, what, you know, what else makes this guy really dangerous and people like him dangerous is the fact that they have no issues at all with causing chaos. The chaos doesn't make him feel bad. What makes him feel bad is not getting what he wants out of the chaos. But enough about him. Let's talk about the people who put the man in office because narcissism is an epidemic. <laughs> it is episode 15 of For Our Edification. I'm Eddie Francis. What happens in organizations where there are narcissistic leaders? Well, research tells us that there is high employee turnover a lot of times. That costs the organization money. Not only that, it costs the organization precious time as far as completing projects on time, uh, being able to establish a firm and a sound leadership structure. Uh, there's a lack of commitment on the top of the followers to organizational goals. Um, the other thing is that vulnerable followers and employees, they suffer mentally and emotionally. I told you my story. I mean, I really do feel that I was going through some suffering. And then here's kind of the worst part. People lose faith in the leader. So look at all these folks who Donald Trump promised would get, you know, the big wall and Mexico would pay for it. And then look at all these folks. He decided to gut the Affordable Care Act as much as he possibly could. And he wound up hurting his supporters in the process. Right. So people have lost faith in him for very good reason. But even worse, 
Even worse is when an organization has a culture of dependency. So if you have an organization where there is apathy, indifference, uh, little sense of responsibility and accountability, well, that's not good. That organization has what's called a fixed mindset. Now, an organization has a growth mindset is one where people are vibrant intellectually. Uh, they are very involved and they make they make it a point to grow. So the organization grows. They want to see the organization grow. They they cheer for one another. They want to see good stuff happen. They are willing to sacrifice whatever's going on in their lives and their careers for others to do well. And um, in that kind of an organization, a narcissist cannot possibly survive because everybody's too confident in what they do. They're too confident in their identity and value. So when it comes to an organization that has a fixed mindset, oh, that's a playground for a narcissist. Come on, man. Come on. I mean, that's just throwing sand down there and, and, and put, put, the, put, the, put the slides down and everything. They are going to have fun. Because in these types of situations, what's going on, unfortunately, where you have what's called a dependent organization, by the way, what you have is a group of people who are waiting for the hero. They are always waiting for somebody to make it better. What about Trump followers? Trump followers are definitely a form of a dependent organization. They felt that they needed this hero to come along. And so... What happens? Donald Trump comes along. Donald Trump exudes confidence, boldness, nonconformity, power. He's blunt. He is the leader that society feels it needs because society has lost its way. He's going to make America great again. These folks thought that Trump was speaking truth to power when really what he was doing was taking advantage of their desperation. But while he was the center of attention, my real question became, who are the people who are so confident that he's going to be such a great leader? I mean, yeah, he's a narcissist. But what about what about these other folks? Is it possible that they are narcissists as well? Well, check this out. There are researchers who believe and have believed for about half a century now that narcissism is an epidemic. So there's this tool for measuring narcissism. It's called the Narcissistic Personality Inventory. In the 1970s, Researchers decided to administer it. And when they got the results back, um, and I don't remember how long the study um, lasted, but when they did get the study back years later, by the way, so that this was basically a generational study that they did when they got it back, um, they theorized that number one, there is a rise, you know, that narcissism was reaching epidemic proportions. But they also took a stab at trying to figure out why that was. And there were several options that they put on the table. One, um, the, the study that they got indicated 
that there was this pressure in the time that the study was administered in the 70s that parents were putting on their kids to be the best at everything. Everything. It didn't matter if it was sports, academics, marbles. I don't care what it was. They just wanted, they just put these kids under all this pressure. Now, another thing that researchers thought may have contributed to the rise in narcissism may be that maybe they were narcissistic all along. So what they think might have happened also is that when the research, when the, when the questionnaire went out in the beginning, maybe people weren't being too honest about their narcissism, but as years went along, they became more honest. So maybe that's why. Now, here's one that I think a lot of people would buy into. <laughs> Parents they also theorize may have been instilling a false sense of confidence in their kids, a false sense of security. Hey, you're special. I don't know why you're special, but you're a special kid. All right. Just know that you're special. One of the indicators um, that there's a rise in uh, that there had been this rise in narcissism was that, uh, there was a survey, there was another survey um, that was administered. In 1966, 39% of American college freshmen rated themselves intellectually above average. 1966. In 2014, that number jumped 20%. 59% of American freshmen rated themselves as intellectually above average. Another thing that may have contributed um, some literature that I ran across suggests that leadership education has become too focused on individual achievement over time. So maybe that has contributed to this epidemic that researchers, clinicians, uh, professionals, and other folks who have studied narcissism believe has happened. I mean, you know, let's think about this. Uh, and let's think about it in terms of social media, because, I mean, if there's any way to kind of do a rough environmental check about narcissism and the degree of it, social media is a pretty good way to do it. And I don't I don't necessarily think it's social media's fault, um, but let's let's go back to fire festival. How was Billy McFarlane able to pull this thing off, man? How, how did he do? How did he get these people? to to buy a ticket that was worth thousands of dollars for a concert on a deserted island. How, how did he do that? Well, Billy McFarlane played on the narcissism of the social media influencer culture. That's how he did it. So one of the things that came up in the, in the Hulu documentary, FOMO, fear of missing out. So you had all these people who were so worried that they were not going to be the center of attention. <laughs> they didn't want to miss out on this opportunity to, to flaunt their, their self-importance, to take selfies for days, to flaunt their vanity and to be a part of the biggest thing in the world. They just, they just couldn't, they couldn't miss out on that. They just could not miss out on that. Um, 
And are they all narcissists? Eh, I don't know. That's debatable, I guess, because we don't we don't know about the vulnerability part. So let's be fair. Um, but if you really want to see how prevalent narcissism is on social media, take a look at how people disagree. So, you know, I, I've seen this a million times and I feel bad about this. But one thing I've stopped doing on Twitter is I have stopped disagreeing with people who come with these really asinine takes. I, I've just stopped. I can't I can't take it anymore. So here's the way it goes. Um, and I, and I'm, I'm going to give you another version of something that happened because I don't remember the exact subject. But let's just say that someone tweeted something to the effect of black men are the problem with America. So my response to that was, well, I respectfully disagree. Well, here's a tweet I get back. Well, I said what I said. Okay. My response to that. Well, that doesn't do much for your argument that you said what you said. Oh, well, see, now you're gaslighting. Okay. So let me tell you, let me just pause right there. That actually happened. So somebody came with some kind of black men are trash take and, you know, all black men are this, all black, all black men, horrible, blah, 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 blah. Right. Um, and I disagreed with it and I asked this person to prove her point and her response was, I was gaslighting. Look, let me tell you, I was not being disrespectful. I wasn't trying to embarrass her. I didn't write anything crass or anything like that. All I asked was to, to, to prove the point. And yes, I asked it in a cordial manner, respectful manner. And then another user, by the way, another user came along after I was accused of gaslighting because I wanted proof that all black men are trash. Another person came along and said, well, why don't you just accept her argument and just accept the truth for what it is? So what's the deal here? The deal is that social media has become this haven for folks whose worlds exist primarily in their heads. These are people who are obsessed with being seen and heard on a large platform. Yet they are hurt when people disagree with them in even the most respectful way. So the attitude that shows us that narcissism is indeed an epidemic is your facts don't equal my truth. Even if my truth misleads other people, the lack of empathy, people not respecting the dignity of others only to make sure that they get some likes and they get some attention, not even caring that the disrespect that they give may drive someone into a very, very dark place. And you can sit here all you want and say, well, you know what, if that's the, if that's the way they feel, if that's the problem, if they have such a problem with somebody, you know, using some nasty language on Twitter, something like that, you know what, that's their problem. Okay. Well now you're victim blaming. Now you're victim blaming. It's not for you to decide. It is not. But I do know this. Their reactions are real. Because some narcissistic jerk off decided they wanted some likes. We have evidence that such a level of animosity and narcissism hurts people. Why do you think there is such a movement afoot to make social media users so 
aware of their own mental health plus the mental health of others. At the end of the day, the insecurity, the arrogance, the hubris, the, the grandiosity, the, 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 the thirst for self-importance of people who abuse social media for personal gain compromises the voices uh, and the well-being of people who use social media to simply connect or even to try to spread some positivity. So when you add, when you, when you see me tweet hashtag narcissistic leadership, this is what it's all about. This is the problem. This is why I do it because I have been on the business end of that behavior and it's not fun. And this is the kind of person who is running the country. It's not that he's a Republican. It's not that he's a conservative. By the way, can I just throw one thing in about the whole, you know, be, you know, before I kick rocks on this whole thing, can I just throw one thing in about the whole this isn't about politics thing? Eh, can I do that? I don't even think the man is a Republican. He doesn't care what their philosophy is. He doesn't care that their whole thing is to make the country better in their in their way of doing it. That is what chaps my butt at the end of the day. So look, th this really needs to be said um, that when it comes down to narcissism, it doesn't always mean malice. There are several types of narcissism. Um, you know, there's classic narcissism, covert narcissism, malignant narcissism, and, and all these other types. Um, the Michael Scott character from The Office, I would say he was more of a classic narcissist. And a classic narcissist is, is basically someone, they're not really trying to hurt anybody, but they definitely want the attention on them. And they may not necessarily be aware that they're hurting people. And you actually can get them to a point of acting somewhat reasonably, but you're not going to stop them from wanting all the attention on them. That's what doggone sure. Um, but malignant narcissists, mm, they're a whole different deal, man. They are a whole different deal. You know, it is a personality disorder and mental health professionals are trying to figure out how to treat it. Um, if you take a look at psychologists profiles, more of them, including treatment for narcissism in their plans. Uh, so it, it's an incredibly important move. And that really should tell you with so many mental health professionals uh, looking to treat narcissism. It really should tell you just how widespread that condition is. Um, as I pointed out in episode seven, uh, managing narcissistic leaders is really, really about getting your self-confidence up. You got to invest in yourself. You got to invest in self-care. Uh, you got to set some personal and professional boundaries. That's probably the biggest thing you can do if you're in a situation where you think you are working with or for a narcissist. You know, if, if your company has sound HR policies where they really do regulate the behaviors that happen, then invest in those policies and and learn those policies. And by the way, use those policies responsibly. Um, and then the other thing I would say is stay connected to the positive people in your life. That's really something that helped me. Um, seeking out positive people, staying connected to positive people and the ones who affirm your identity and your value, who show genuine care about your personal and professional growth. Yeah, those are the ones who you definitely want to stick to. And by the way, 
Social media is not just for jerks. Stick to the positive people on social media. I got my positive tribe. Go ahead. Get yours. Look, check out the new for our edification page at eddiefrancis.com. The podcast is available on your favorite platforms. Uh, that would be Apple, Google, Spotify, our heart radio, and more. Of course, you have home base Podbean. rate the podcast, follow it and share it with friends for my very, very, very lovely wife, Dr. Halima Malik Francis. I'm Eddie Francis. Thank you for downloading episode 15 of for our edification.